At this point, we will turn to Psalm 68. You'll notice in the bulletin I have chosen verses and sections out of it. Um, the New Testament reading is rather long. I didn't want the Old Testament to be similarly long. So I apologize for making everybody skip verse by verse. Let us hear the word of the Lord in these verses and sections in Psalm 68. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as of language. Your flock found a dwelling in it. With your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. Verse 15. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many peak mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peak mountain of the mount that God desires for his glory? Yes, for the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. Verse 24. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians left, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt to push to stretch out her hands to God. And thus far, the reading of God's word. This time we will have a New Testament reading, which will also serve as our sermon text. Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 52. A long passage. I hope you will enjoy every verse of it. But I'll start reading at verse 26 and finish the chapter. Acts 13, verse 26. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, 
To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news of what God promised to the fathers. This he has filled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that, though, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews inside of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thus far the reading of God's word. I don't know if you might be wondering how this sermon came about. I will tell 
Acts 13 has long been one of my favorite passages, one that I've often given attention to. Uh, I've actually preached from it a number of times, and I've preached from it differently at different times. I've always been intrigued at the verse late in the passage, verse 41. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. That's a pretty extraordinary sermon conclusion. Some places, you wonder how, what kind of an altar call is that? I pointed that out to some of my fellow evangelists. I've been intrigued with that. And there was a time, some time ago, where I was looking at this passage again because I was supposed to lead a study in it with a lot of Chinese students that I knew. And I took looked at it another time. Something new grabbed my attention. Something that I simply could not get out of my mind. So you are getting something that has gotten me. I'd like you to help us all, help yourself out, help me out. If you would focus your attention by asking yourself this question. Are you in the right place? You might say, that's a stupid question if there ever was one. Of course I'm in the right place. It's Sunday morning. I'm here in church. That's on my calendar every week where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. Maybe it's a stupid question, but help yourself, help me, help all of us, all of us out by focusing your mind with that question, at least for now. And I submit to you that the Jews in Acts 13 were in the right place. They were in their Sabbath synagogue. It was the Sabbath day. They were where they were supposed to be. They were listening to the reading of Scripture, listening to prayers. They even had a visiting preacher of all things, bringing them a word of exhortation. And in that first week, verses 16 to 41, they got a word of exhortation like they'd never had before. As far as I know, they had not heard these things before. That word of exhortation included some special expressions like these. To you is the word of this salvation sent. Verse 32, we declare to you glad tidings. Through this man Jesus is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I think the ESV says everyone that believes is justified. Different, different English translations use different expressions. That is pretty good stuff to hear. They heard that this man, Jesus, came from Israel's royal line and was raised up again. And the words of Paul are these. The promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus again. Talk about being in the right place. Sabbath day service, where you want to be, and you hear the news that the promises made to the patriarchs has been fulfilled. I have no idea what was being said in so many other synagogues 
that morning, but this was a red-letter day in PA, and I don't mean Pennsylvania, I mean the city and Alabama. Very special event. The gospel is preached there, maybe for the first time. And it says, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas after Paul was done preaching. Verse 43. So not only was the gospel preached, the gospel was believed. People who were born Jews followed Paul and Barnabas. People who had been converted to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. The gospel was preached. The gospel was believed. I remember once, years and years and years ago, looking at this passage with a bunch of American students that I did. They were surprised that there was a positive reaction. They are used to seeing nothing but persecution and rejection in the book of Acts. And I was pointing to them, look at this. These are people who followed Paul and Barnabas after this passage. Good news, good event, good reaction. People actually, actually came to faith even following that strange conclusion, or also following verse 41. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. And I'm doing a work in your day, a work that you will not believe, even if someone tells it to you. God was advancing his purposes. Jesus had brought the news of the kingdom of God, and the apostles preached it. And the kingdom of God was expanding. You really can't ask for more than that. The Jews were in the right place, maybe it was the right time, even after that strange illusion in verse 41. Have I painted too rosy a picture? Well, you know I have. If you read a little further, if you were listening when we read earlier, the next Sabbath day came, almost the whole city together gathered to hear the word of God. So when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy or jealousy. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. The ESV up here just says they spoke against Paul, but the real word in the Greek is blaspheming. Really extraordinary expressions coming out of these Jews who were upset. Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and they spake against the things that were spoken by Paul, contradicting him and blaspheming him. So much for being in the right place. The previous week, maybe it was kind of interesting hearing these visiting preachers, but look at this. We've got a Christian mission to the Gentiles flooding our Jewish synagogue. Things might have seemed acceptable enough last week. We never expected this to be going on. We spoke against the things spoken by Paul, contradicting and even blaspheming. It's okay for some things to happen in the synagogue. But what happens this second Sabbath day reveals what they are really willing to let happen. The Jews only want certain things to happen in their synagogue. 
Those Jews might be a lot like us, or we might be like them sometimes. We are willing for certain limited things to happen in our midst. It's okay to read scripture. It's okay to lead prayers. It's okay to sing song. It's even okay to preach. You wouldn't want the wrong people showing up too much, showing too much interest, and perhaps being blessed too much. You might not want that going on. That might be uncomfortable. That might be surprising. That might be hard to take. My oldest son spent a few months living and working in Cedar Rapids some years ago. While he was there, he visited any church that he could find. He's not a strong denominationalist. He just shows up at churches, doesn't remember their denomination, doesn't remember the name, might remember who invited them there or something like that. But he also doesn't remember what happens. In one church that he visited, the associate pastor took him to lunch wanted to get to know him, probably hoping to pull him into the congregation. And during lunch, he asked my son, what do you want to see when you when you visit a church? Probably thinking, you probably want to see faithful Bible preaching, right? Maybe a fabulous young adults fellowship group. Maybe certain kinds of music. My son absolutely astounded that pastor by saying, I want to see the power of God manifested in it. Well, the associate pastor said, I've never heard that from anybody. I have no idea how to respond to it. Anything else that people might look for are things that you can set up, things that you can do, things that you can plan and say, we've got this here. My son staggered him and saying, I'd like to see the power of God manifesting itself in the church. Here in Acts 13, you see the power of God manifesting itself during this preaching in the synagogue at this time. You see the work of the Holy Spirit going on. You see God's kingdom advancing. Back in Acts 7, Stephen had once told people in Jerusalem, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts 13, we wind up with the same thing going on. God does his work amongst the people in the city, and the Jews get really upset by it. Not in their synagogue. If those Jews had been listening better the previous week, they would have heard that altar calls message, that sermon conclusion message. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and terrified. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Verse 41. They were told God is doing a work in their days. That work is written in verse 39. By Jesus, all that believe, everyone that believes, are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's the work God is demonstrating. That's why the Gentiles showed up in such throngs to hear more of that message. There really are two reactions to the statement in our story. The reaction of Jews, the reaction of the Gentiles. 
As we have the telling, there's a huge difference. The Gentiles got it. The Gentiles got it. They gathered the whole city to hear more. God was doing a work there which was not only declared, but was demonstrated. The Gentiles got it. The Jews resisted it. The Jews didn't believe it. It's not easy believing something that ruins your categories. Categories like Jew and Gentile. Those, those categories are erased in that word, all. All who believe, or everyone who believes. Categories like law expert and law ignoramus. Those categories are erased in that word, all, all who believe. Categories like us and them. Categories like regulars and not regulars. Those categories are erased in that word, all, everyone believers. Categories like the Ben-Hears and the Newbies. Those are erased with that word all. The Jews have been really good at holding and maintaining those categories. And maybe we are too. Maybe we are good at that. How do you deal with people regardless of their background? Let me uh, read a little something here. I didn't write this. I admit that I edited it a little bit. But listen to uh, these words. It's a series of questions and answers. Are all men then saved by Christ as they have perished in Adam? No. Only all such as by true faith are grafted into him and receive all his benefits. What is true faith? It is not only a certain knowledge whereby they hold for truth all that God has revealed to them in his word, but also a hearty trust which the Holy Spirit works in them by the gospel. That not only to me, but to countless others also. Forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember their sins, neither the sinful nature with which they have to struggle all their life long, but graciously imputes to them the righteousness of Christ, that they may never more come into condemnation. I have a, several other questions and answers. Do you recognize any of those words? Do you recognize my editing? By the way, this editing was done years ago. It has nothing at all to do with preferred pronouns in the politics of today. This editing was done years ago in order to Catechism and put it in the third person about so many the way Paul speaks. Third person, everyone. Everyone who believes. Heidelberg Catechism is fabulous for speaking to you, the individual. Am I right? 
What is your your one comfort of life and death that I belong to my faithful Savior? Fabulous for speaking to you as an individual. Right? All you gotta do is flip the flip the pronouns around a little bit and you realize I can gain a lesson from this. The world. About the world, the wideness of God's mercy, the work, the mission, the purpose, the spread of the gospel. Next time you study your catechism, consider doing that. I did it for questions 20, well, a bunch of questions here. But how do you deal with people, regardless of their background? I once knew a church, a reformed church, and here's some things about it about its history, its reputation, what it did, how it was strong, how it was weak. I knew a number of things about it, and I was waiting at a hospital one day, and I got into a conversation with a man, and he said, he said, I was in that church when I was a teenager. When I met him, he was probably, let's say, 40 years old or something like that. I said, you're not in that church anymore. He says, no, I'm active in another church. I teach Sunday school where I am. I learned so much in that Reformed church when I was a teenager. I am teaching the very same stuff in the Pentecostal church that I'm in now. And I said, why did you, why did you shift? He said, I realized that the church that I was in as a teenager, no matter how much I learned, no matter how devoted I was, no matter how often I was there, I would never really be accepted as a man. I wasn't part of the families that had always been there. I wasn't immediately connected to anybody. I really, really, really connected with the Sunday school class and my Sunday school teacher, but that very teacher was also an elder. When I asked him about becoming a member of the church, he said, I don't think you're ready. So for three years, I had been there as often or more often than almost anybody else. I did everything to learn, everything that Sunday school teacher wanted me to learn. I was active in everything, and after all those years, he said, I don't think you're ready. He said, I, I realized I would just never be a part of things there. That church had the widest middle aisle of any church I've ever known. He said, you could tell so easily, so well, who was in and who was not. How do you deal with people who are genuinely interested in the gospel, regardless of their background? Are you in the right place? Do you want a church where the power of God is demonstrated? Demonstrated in people perhaps that you're not so familiar with, not so comfortable with? You want a church where people are not evaluated by how meticulously they meet expectations? You want a church where people are not evaluated about where they come from. You want a church where people do not assert their own righteousness, justifying themselves, asserting their own acceptability. No one is blessed when people compare themselves to each other in right and wrong. Paul understood that so well he wrote a verse directly speaking of that. You want a church where the triumph of Christ actually shows itself in people's lives. Shows itself in their course conversation. Shows itself 
in their ways of relating shows itself in the fruit of the Spirit. Do you speak as people who are really carried along by Christ's work? I hope you want that. I hope you want that. I hope you want that with all of your heart. If you don't want that, I hope that you are somewhat convicted about that. That is what God is saying in this passage. There's a lot of stuff, of course, about the work and the resurrection of the Jesus, but in some ways the passage is not so much about Jesus as it is about Jesus' people. The people in which walls of distinction are to be broken down. People who know the love of the Lord Jesus, know his saving work, share that saving work with anybody else who joins in amongst them. I can reiterate that in an encouraging way if you just look at the last few verses of the chapter. Uh, let me read verses 46 to 49. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, the word of the Lord was spread throughout the whole region. Paul, the servant apostle of the New Testament, says, words about his mission to the Gentiles. The original, the verses that he quotes are from Isaiah 49, the original speaking of making you a light to the Gentiles, those words are spoken to Jesus, the true servant of the Lord. And even as God speaks to that servant, God calls him Israel. Israel, the nation that was meant to be the light to the other nations. That nation was not particularly faithful. Jesus was faithful as the light to all the nations. And here his apostles are called the same. And indeed, anyone attached to Jesus is part of the new Israel, the true Israel. It's not just the apostles. But all of Jesus' people are part of the light. Notice in verse 49, the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions. If Jesus has welcomed you, you are blessed to be a welcome to others. Late the book of Romans, chapter 15, Paul, pleading with the Jews and the Gentiles in the Romans church, says, welcome one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You are blessed to be a welcome to others. That's the nature of Jesus' people. Blessed to be a blessing. May the power of God show itself like that in everything your church does. May it be the right place with the right response to his people. Some years ago, I preached in another church. It was a church that I preached at a fair number of times. I was 
familiar, very familiar with almost everybody in the congregation, even though I was only the occasional visitor. I do not remember anything about my sermon. I don't think I'm supposed to. I don't care. I don't care whether I remember anything about my sermon of that day because somebody else spoke to me that morning and gave me the most extraordinary blessing. I mentioned that I was familiar with almost everybody in the congregation, but there was a man there I'd never seen before. He didn't look anything like the, uh, the, the regular people in the congregation. He didn't look like he was related to any of them. He didn't have any wife, any children. He didn't have an aged parent to help or anything. I'd never seen him before. He didn't look like anybody there. He looked like he might have been homeless. Definitely did not look like somebody who was uh, high-functioning in the American prison. But he came up to me, as others did, took my hand, said, thanks for coming. That's what he said to me. Thank you for your sermon, Reverend. And then he said, I want you to know this church has been incredibly good to me. I can't remember. He probably said some other things. I cannot remember what else he said. He said, I want you to know this church has been incredibly good to me. He belonged to nobody there. He was connected to nobody there. He was not like anybody there, but they had been incredibly good to him. I've been there again. I've never seen him again. I don't know how long he was there. I don't know the particulars of his interaction there, but he blessed me that morning by telling me about the work of God after he was telling me about the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit there. Which again, for his blessing, I'm sure it was for the blessing of everybody else there. I don't need to remember my sermon from that morning. I got a fabulous message from him. Simply want to say, may the power of God show itself like that in everything that your church does. May your church be the right place with the right response in all of its people. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your love and at your mercy. We are amazed because you gave your son. You did not spare him, but you freely gave him up for us all. That all was a surprisingly large number of people in the city of Antioch that morning. Oh God, that it would be a considerable, surprisingly large number of people here in A surprisingly large number of people around this congregation. Father, we would want to know the wideness of your mercy. Extend it, participate in it, be blessed in it as well. Father, none of us, none of us can recommend ourselves to you. All of us are sinners from short of the glory of God. But you have given your Son for us all, and he has eagerly given himself for us all. 
Father, we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks that Jesus will gather people from every land and tribe and tongue and nation. Sometimes he stirs them around and we are surrounded by people from every land and tribe and tongue and nation. God, give us appreciation for the gospel of the Lord Jesus people that it is meant to say. Let us see that in our midst. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.